It's great to be here. I'm really humbled by that. It's overwhelming. Um, yeah, it's, it's so good to be back here. Last time I spoke here was March 10th, uh, which if you know anything about that week, that was when COVID started wreaking havoc on our nation. I remember everyone came in here pretty scared that night. We had like half of our group here. And I was thinking, this is probably going to be my last sermon live for Chi Alpha. And I was right. And I preached the rest of my messages as the director online, which was fun talking to a camera. But it's good to be back here and get to share with you again. And yeah, just to share uh, what God's put on my heart. But I do want to do this before I start. I just want to say that, that when COVID hit and we were planning to you know, plant this church and have the transition with Derek taking over, I mean, we were all pretty nervous about how that was going to happen. And honestly, Kyle Alpha has only went to the next level since I've stepped out of the role. And I'm not just saying that because Derek just said that. It's in my notes. He, or Derek just honored me. I'm not trying to honor him to get back. Like, literally, it's in my notes. You can look at it after service. But I'm saying that Derek and the whole team has done an incredible job taking Kyle Alpha to a level that I never took it to. So I dreamed of the day that, that students would be in the balcony. And thanks to COVID and growth, we have students in the balcony, right? So praise God for that. Can we give Derek and Taylor a round of applause for what they're doing? And another amazing thing that's happened since COVID and since the transition with Chi Alpha is Chi Alpha has successfully planted a church. Like a group of under 25-year-olds got together, which I'm over 25, but for the most part under 25-year-olds, got together and planted a new church in our community. That's pretty amazing. Without you guys, that church would not have been planted. Like we had nobody on, or pretty much nobody on our launch team besides my parents that were over the age of 25. Because nobody wanted to help plant a church during a pandemic, okay? Now people are coming to be a part of the church. They're like, hey, this is pretty cool. There's all these young people here. But that's because you counted the cost and said, hey, I want to be a part of planting a life-giving church in Cedar Falls. So I want to say thank you for helping us do that. And just to say, too, that Emily and I are so blessed to be the church home for so many of you. And it just means the world to have you on Sundays. And I hope you know that we see you, we love you, we're thankful for you, and you play a huge role in our church. All right, so I thought I'd start by sharing some history about Chi Alpha, since I'm kind of the history nerd with Chi Alpha. I've been here since the beginning and still a part of it kind of now. And I think that we're on the precipice of, a, of just a glorious future. Like I can see, with, or see for you guys that discipleship's happening at a, at a multiplying rate. Like people are being raised up quicker. There's more people being raised up. And I know that this room's going to be filled post-COVID. Like you're going to fill up every single seat in this room. I believe that. And God has something amazing for you. But before we're going to step into that, I want to kind of share a little bit about your history to see where you come from. Okay, so it's not, so Kyle did not start with me. Actually, 10 years ago, there's a missionary couple to India, and they were on the ground there. They had two young children. Their names were Jonathan and Erica Bartholo. And for their whole lives, they dreamed of being, they dreamed of being missionaries to India. And when they got there, they realized that, that there's some things about uh, the mission that just caused them to not be able to, or to fulfill their work there, and they had to come home after only a couple of years, and it was very discouraging to them. They felt like failures. Imagine if you dreamed of something your whole life, and you got to go do it, and then uh, you had to come home right after, because it just didn't work out. So, you know, Jonathan and Erica were seeking God and wondering, what's the next step? And at the same time, God began stirring uh, the leadership of the Iowa Ministry Network, which is the network of churches we're connected with, to start Chi Alphas in Iowa. There was Chi Alphas all over the country, but there wasn't Chi Alphas in Iowa. There was nothing. And they asked Jonathan and Erica Bartholo to, uh, to start Chi Alpha here in Iowa. So Jonathan and, and Erica took the bold risk to say yes to God and to become the directors of nothing. There was nobody a part of it. They were the leaders of nothing. 
and they lived in Des Moines, and the first door opened at the University of Northern Iowa to start a Chi Alpha, and Jonathan decided to drive up every single week from Des Moines to start Chi Alpha. So he would come up on Wednesday nights, and he'd lead a leadership meeting in the, in the first floor lounge of Hageman. I got to be part of those meetings. And then he would uh, sleep at the Clarion Hotel. So if you go on University Ave, there's like this hotel by Duncan. It's very sketchy. If you like hang out there, I'm sorry, but it's sketchy. Okay, so he would stay there every night, every Wednesday night, and he would uh, then lead a Kyle service on Thursday night, and he'd meet with students all day during the day on Thursday, and then drive back to Des Moines after Chi Alpha at like midnight uh, to be with his family. And he did that every week for three years. And because he did that, when I came in in 2011, which was a year after he planted Chi Alpha, I got to be a part of it because he said, I'm going to count the cost. I'm going to take responsibility for the mission of God even when it's hard. Even when his family had to sacrifice and couldn't see him for two days a week. So I came in as a freshman. I had just come back to the Lord, and I was a hot mess. I had so many things twisted. I had like three girlfriends at once. I had a lot of issues, okay? I come in, I'm excited about Jesus, but I have all these issues, and Jonathan took me under his wing and discipled me. And at the same time, I met my wife, Emily. There was like 20 students in Chi Alpha, and she was like the only other girl. So I'm like, yes, that sounds good. So me and Emily, you know, got together, and we eventually got married, and then after our sophomore years, we got married, and then we went up to Minneapolis, Minnesota, so I could train for ministry school, because at the time, you and I did not have an internship program, had nothing like it. So we went to Minnesota, and at the same time, Pastor Jonathan went and planted Cross Point Church in Waverly, which you got to be there this weekend. That was nothing just a few years ago, and now look at it. It's in this huge school. There's like 500 people part of that church, but again, Jonathan counted the cost and planted the flag of Christ in a place where it wasn't planted. Again, and God blessed him again. Man, like that guy is blessing everywhere he goes. But anyways, we're up in Minneapolis, and there's no director here for two years. The whole thing pretty much dies. And in 2014, we get called and asked to come back in the fall of 2015. So we prayed for a year. We're like, okay, we're going to come back. We prepared for it. We came back in 2015, and we met this girl named Taylor Harmon, and now Taylor Quimby. And she was like the only student left. There's like 10 or 15 students left, but she was one of only 10 or 15 uh, students left. And she was at the time, kind of partying, doing some things she shouldn't have, but we said, hey, you're all we got. Uh, do you, or do you want to be a leader? <laughs> That's what you got to do when you're starting stuff. You're like, God, this is what we got. And, and she had walked away from that, but had just walked away from it. And she got activated in her faith and began to make disciples on the campus. Like, really, you girls can all pretty much trace your disciple tree, or trace your discipleship tree back to Taylor, if you really want to get down to it. And, and Emily helped Taylor as she did that. But anyways, at the same time, I called Derek up and said, hey, I know you're at North Central University in Minneapolis, but there's a pretty girl here named Taylor, and I think you'd like her a lot if you transfer here. So Derek counted the cost, left uh, Christian college after one semester, and came here to complete the mission of God on the campus, but more so to meet a girl, or to be with a girl. But, uh, and in 2015, God brought not only Derek and Taylor into Chi Alpha, but he brought, which, or Taylor was in it before, but, but he also brought a guy named Marcus Boldy. Yeah, do you guys know who Marcus Boldy is? Come on, let's give Marcus Boldy a round of applause. He brought in a girl named Katie Crack. Do you know who Katie Boldy is? And she used to be Katie Crack, all right? And she was going to go to all the other campus ministries, but I prayed hard, and she ended up here. So praise God for that. And God brought in John Griffin that year, okay? And the, come on, can we give John and Katie a round of applause? Yeah, so in the next year, God brought in Casey Guffian. And now Casey Griffin, okay? And he brought in uh, Victor Martinez. Victor messaged me on Facebook. I said, please come. He showed up, and God wrecked his life. God brought in Chloe Mundy. She had 
or didn't grow up in church at all. She comes in, like, doesn't really know if she wants to be part of it. God grabs her heart, you know, specifically for missions and for international students, and she laid down her life for international students on the campus. That's all in 2016. 2017, a girl named Lexi Bartell comes in, and she grew up in church and, you know, had been in the AG, which is our network of churches, but, but hadn't really been activated in her faith. She's super shy, and God grabbed her heart for mission on the campus. She made disciples on the campus, and now she's our first ever Sent Kids uh, director at church, right? And she's an intern on the campus. So I share that to say that because Jonathan said yes to Jesus, all these people have been able to come to Christ and be activated in the mission. It traces back. And someone said yes to Jesus before Jonathan. I don't know who it was, but somebody did. You can keep tracing it back all the way to the day of Pentecost when the church was born. People saying yes and saying, I'm going to take responsibility for the mission of God. And the question for you tonight is, are you going to take responsibility for the mission of God? Because there are people in your life who God has called you to reach. And if you reach them, you don't know who they're going to reach and who they're going to reach and who they're going to reach. But every one of us needs to get in the game. Nobody gets to sit on the bench in the kingdom of God. Nobody gets to consume. Everybody has to get in the game. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Are you ready to take responsibility for the mission of God and to lay down your life and do things that are hard? To drive two hours every week and stay in a city you don't know because you want to reach students for Christ. To try to pioneer an international ministry when the director of that Chi Alpha has no idea how to reach international students and you're just a freshman student saying, hey, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to pioneer the international ministry for Chi Alpha. Are you willing to do hard things for Jesus? Are you willing to go and reach out to freshmen next fall and say, I'm going to do whatever it takes for you to come to Chi Alpha and experience Jesus? I'm going to talk to you at the Chick-fil-A party even though it's so awkward. I hate talking to new people. I don't like it. And you don't like it either probably. Some of you do. Some of you are crazy. But are you going to do hard things for Jesus? I'm telling you, if you do the hard things for Jesus, it'll be worth it. Because God will use you to make an eternal impact and to push back the gates of hell on our world and to establish the kingdom of God. And if you do that in 10 years, you never know. Maybe someone will stand in this spot and tell your story. God is calling all of us to take responsibility for the mission. Sorry, I got a cat hair on here. I don't like cat hair. <laughs> Some of us got super excited at fall retreat, but you're already doubting that God could really use you. You're already doubting. You've already started struggling with some things that you thought you weren't going to struggle with again, and you're doubting it. And you've started to look less at God and more at yourself and more at your deficiencies. God doesn't want you to look at your deficiencies all right, your deficiencies. He wants you to look at him. I don't care if you're shy. God doesn't care if you're shy. He can use you right where you're at. God uses shy people for the kingdom. Do you know that Alex Rodriguez is super shy? But God uses him. I'm super shy. Derek's pretty shy. God uses us, right? God can use you even if you're shy. And there's others in here who are still struggling to surrender to God's call. You have your own ambitions and your own dreams, and you're not sure if God has good things for you, and you're not sure if you want to lay those things down at his feet. As we've been talking about at Chi Alpha and at Fall Retreat over the last several weeks, our calling is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that he's commanded us. He wants us to do this because God is on a mission to dethrone the powers of hell and to rule the world. He wants to be the king of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation on the earth. But he's not going to do it by force. He's going to do it by assembling an, a spiritual 
army of disciple makers who will bring the gospel to their friends and see their friends' hearts changed by his love. And he wants you to be a part of this. But for that to happen, you have to surrender your own dreams at his feet and take responsibility for the mission. Okay, so with that said, we are concluding, I think we're concluding the series, right? Okay, cool. With a sermon called Called to the World. We're talking about our calling to partner with God to reach the world. If you have your Bibles, turn, or turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, Matthew chapter 24 is not my favorite chapter to read in the Bible. A lot of times I try to skim over it quickly when it's in my Bible reading plan. In verses 1 through 14, Jesus gives us a prophecy that was partially fulfilled already in 70 A.D. when Rome sacked Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. But it also applies to the, ten, or to the end times. At times in scriptures, there's prophecies that are fulfilled twice. There's like double meanings to it. And this prophecy has already been partially fulfilled in 70 A.D., but it's still yet to be fulfilled in the end times. It's going to be verses 1 through 14. Let's read it. It says this, Jesus left the temple, and he was going astray. When his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple, but Jesus answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that, or see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, or I am the Messiah, or I am King. And they will lead many astray. And, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. That's an encouraging word tonight, isn't it? And you'll be hated by all, or by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. I pray to God this isn't true, but just statistically speaking, many of you will fall away in this room. Like many of you in 10 years will not be following Jesus. I've been doing campus ministry for a while, and I've seen it. I don't say that to, to make you feel bad. I say that to encourage you to really think about how God has moved in your heart right now and say, I'm never going to walk away. I don't want to walk away. I want to stay with Jesus even when it gets hard. I don't know where I'm at. Let's see here. Okay, so verse 10, okay. And many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. All right, let's pray over this. Jesus, we thank you for this encouraging word tonight, Lord. We're excited to be hated. We're excited to be put to death. I'm playing, Lord. I know I can joke with you because you're my friend. But anyways, God, we pray tonight that you would speak to us through this word. I pray that this would not be lofty words of wisdom, but it would be a demonstration of your Holy Spirit's power. God, I pray that every single heart in this room would burn. God, I pray that you would speak to every heart, that every heart would be convicted, and we would be called to rise up and be the army of God that you've called us to be tonight. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right, so Jesus, he prophesies that the temple will be destroyed, and again, that was already fulfilled in 70 A.D., and then he says that the end times will be characterized by, or by many falling away from him, by, or by wars, by false messiahs, by false prophets, by earthquakes, and so forth. But before this can happen, 
Before the end can come, the gospel will be preached throughout the whole world. Okay, so as I was praying about this passage, God gave me three points, which I feel like he always gives me three points. So let's just go for it. The first point tonight is this. The work of Jesus unleashed the presence of God in the world. Okay, in verse 1, Matthew tells us that Jesus left the temple. And this isn't just stating a fact. This is a symbolic statement. His leaving of the temple symbolized and signaled that the end of the temple's relevance was coming. The temple was going to be obsolete. In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where God lived and he ruled. It was the place where the natural world overlapped with the spiritual world. In the beginning, God intended for the whole world to be his temple. But then Adam and Eve, they chose sin over God, and God was unable to make the whole world his temple any longer. Instead, he contained himself at first to the tabernacle and then later to the temple because the world was full of sin. And to enter God's temple, priests would have to go through a number of rituals to be clean enough to be in his presence because God is holy and nothing simple can be before him. The ordinary person could not be in the presence of God. And Jesus is telling us in Matthew 24 that this time of God being contained to a building was ending. The temple was coming down. Verse 2, he said, or he said, you see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you that there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus was saying that through him the temple will become obsolete. Jesus came to throw down the temple and to throw down religious systems that are designed to box God in and keep people out. By dying on the cross for the sins of the world and rising from the grave, he was making it possible for the Holy Spirit to dwell in the hearts of every single human being who professed faith in Christ. The church of Jesus Christ will become God's temple, not a physical building, but a spiritual family. In 1 Peter 2, Peter says this, he says, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by man, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood and to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God's presence would be unleashed from a holy building to a holy people. The Holy Spirit would come not only to dwell in us though, but to give us opportunity to have our lives immersed or baptized in him. Baptism or baptizo in the Greek, it means immersed or dunked. Jesus promised to baptize us in the Holy Spirit or to baptize us in fire. Joel chapter 2 says this, and this is in the Old Testament. It's a prophecy about the future. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions, and even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. During the temple age, the Holy Spirit was only available for special people for certain occasions. But the arrival of the Messiah, the arrival of Jesus Christ, signaled a time when every single believer in God would be immersed in the Holy Spirit, or could be immersed in the Holy Spirit, and be his ministers or his ambassadors to, throughout the entire earth, ushering in his rule and reign. In Luke 3.16, John says this. He says, I baptize you with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. When Jesus baptizes us with the fire of the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to take more ground for the kingdom by, by first letting God rule in our hearts, but also 
by empowering us to go out and declare God's rule to other people and inviting them to come in and so bring their lives under his rule. I'm going to give you another scripture. Are you okay with that? I'm going to keep moving. John 7, 37 to 39. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink and whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as, as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is before Jesus died and rose again. Okay, so Jesus, he wants our hearts to become a home for his presence and he wants his presence to flow out from our lives like a river. He wants everything we touch to just be like, boom, the river of God coming out from our hearts and into the world around us. As we go out into the world empowered by God's spirit, we in making disciples of all nations, we are bringing the presence and the rule of God to the world again through making not a building but human temples. God is calling you to be a part of that. But that's the last point, so we're going to wait for that. Okay, so the arrival of Jesus and the unlocking of his presence in the world is not met without resistance. This is the fun time for those of you who like to read Left Behind books. I don't know if people still read those. Or if you just flip to Revelation because you like the crazy stuff. Let's keep going. Verse 3. There's like two people who got that joke. Verse 3 through 13. Or you just didn't think it was funny, and that's okay. You don't have to laugh at my jokes. It says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them. He says, See that... You see that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you'll hear, or hear wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, or for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes. All these are but the beginning of birth pains, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will Arise and lead many astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. That was a mouthful. Second point, the work of Jesus arouses the powers of hell. After Jesus tells his disciples that the temple was coming down, they want to know when this will happen and when the end will come. Essentially, he responds by saying that the signs of the end times is a full of salt or a full assault on God's people by the forces of hell through various forms of attack. If you read the Bible cover to cover, you'll notice an increase in demonic activity when Jesus steps on the scene. You don't really see a lot of demons in the Old Testament. When Jesus steps on the scene, all of a sudden all the demons are aroused because Jesus was going to take ground back from them. Before that, the demonic forces just had their heyday. And Jesus came to take ground back from the enemy. When Jesus takes ground... Demonic forces respond with opposition. And this will be especially true in the end times as Jesus prepares to come back and set everything right once and for all. As Pastor Alex talked about on Sunday, we often acknowledge the presence of heavenly beings, but we don't acknowledge the presence of demonic beings. There is an enemy opposing the work of God in the world. Ephesians 4 6 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Make no mistake, there is a war for your soul. 
and there is a war for the world. God will win the war in the end, but only those who profess faith in Christ and persevere to the end will be saved. And the question is, will you be one of those people? I don't know. That's the question. If we want to persevere, we need to know that there are attacks coming at us. So then when they come, we won't be surprised. So let's look at each of them. There's going to be people who falsely claim that they are the Christ or the Messiah. In other words, there will be people claiming to be the king or claiming to have the answer to the world's problems. This is literally going to happen at the end through an antichrist, but it's already happening now through different forces of the, in the world who are antichrists, plural. There are so many things other than Jesus claiming to be king in our world today. There are so many forces claiming to be the way to the good life, but it has nothing to do with Jesus. There are politicians and, and political parties and ideologies that claim to be the hope of the world and the answer to the world's problems. Know that whoever you vote for next week will not solve your problems. And if your candidate doesn't win, it's not the end of the world because Jesus is still king. I ain't going to sweat it on Tuesday night. Well, actually, it might be a couple weeks after that we find out, but I ain't sweating either way. I ain't too worried about it. That could be a separate sermon, but we're going to leave that there. Also, money claims to be Messiah. It claims to be king. We think if we get enough money, then we'll find the good life. We'll be saved. Unrestrained sexual expression claims to be the way to the good life. If we can only express ourselves in whatever way we want to and fulfill whatever sexual desire we want to, then we will have the way to the good life. Self claims to be this. If we could just satisfy every desire of the self and just put ourselves first, then we will find the good life. Family can even claim to be this. It's all about family. That's the most important thing. No, Jesus is the most important thing. I love my children and my wife, but Jesus comes first. And out of that, I love them better. There are so many different forces, people, and things, even good things, claiming to be the Messiah. But there's only one Messiah, and his name is Jesus Christ. Another form of attack is the attack of panic that expresses itself through wars and rumors of wars, through famines and earthquakes. And we all know this too well right now as we're living in the middle of a pandemic. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's like the worst one in the last hundred years. It's like the only one. Well, there's a few, but it's like the only big one since the Spanish flu. Anyways, I don't know why I'm getting into that. But the point is, Satan wants you... See, I need to read my notes like Alex does because he doesn't say stupid stuff like that. All right, so anyway, Satan wants you to panic about the pandemic. He wants to steal your peace. As Christ followers, we must be people of peace no matter what the world throws at us. The worst that could happen to us is we could die and then we would be with Christ. As Paul said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. John 14, 27 said this, peace I leave with you and my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you and let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. That's what Jesus promised us. Peace I leave with you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Don't let your hearts be troubled when you hear about wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and pandemics. And yet another form of attack is persecution. Okay, we don't face too much of this in America in a physical sense, but being a Christ follower certainly invites ridicule and exclusion. I've seen it with many of you students. As you have taken up the call of Christ, your parents all of a sudden start to turn on you a little bit. Hey, don't get too serious about him. I saw it happen over and over and over again. I don't think there's persecution like the Christians face in the Middle East and other parts of the world, but as a Christ follower, 
in America, if we're serious about him and not just having him as one part of the pie of our lives, it can certainly invite ridicule. And I forgot you guys were up there. Hello. I'm used to preaching down here. It's great to see you up there in the balcony. (laughs) All right. I just realized I didn't look up there at all. It's great. I love you all. All right. So closely linked to persecution is seeing many in the church fall away and later betray you. Do you realize that the people who have hurt me the most in my life are people who once professed the name of Christ and then fell away and rejected him? That's going to happen to you as well if it hasn't already. Satan attacks the church by drawing some who were once a part of the church out from the church and then using them as tools of hatred and division in the church. Another form of attack is false prophets. False prophets are particularly dangerous because prophets claim to have words from God. Sorry. False prophets, they can lead many astray spiritually by telling people that God said something that he did not say. To protect ourselves from false prophets, we must be grounded in the word of God. That's why we bang over the head with this, like, hey, read it, read it, read it. It's the only form of authority. We can't just go based upon our feelings because there's false prophets seeking to lead us astray. The word of God is our foundation. This is what we base everything on. And the last attack that Jesus mentions is lawlessness and the cooling of people's love for God in the world. It's important that in our receiving of God's grace, we don't view it as a license to sin. Christ died certainly to forgive you, but even more so to give you power over the sin that entangles your life. He doesn't want you just to be forgiven. He wants you to be holy. As God's people, we must seriously seek to obey God's word. We must beware of any teaching that says that sin isn't sin and that God is relaxing his commandments because Jesus has come. Jesus actually said he came to raise the bar. He came to call us to even greater holiness than they called his people to in the Old Testament because we've been forgiven and we're not doing it out of fear or out of trying to please God, but instead we're doing it out of an inflamed heart of love and a heart that's full of the Holy Spirit. Because of that, we can actually raise the bar on the things we're supposed to do as God's people, not lower it. All of, this, all of these things are attacks by Satan to destroy God's temple, which is the church. Satan wants to do everything he can to keep us from God. He wants to lead us to, a, or to other messiahs. He wants to cause us to panic. He wants to persecute us for our faith. He wants to divide us and stir hatred within. He wants to lead us astray with false prophets, and he wants to get us not to obey God. But Jesus' arrival and the pushing back of the gates of hell by the church and God's temple has not been met without opposition. Satan will not go down without a fight. And we must know that this is coming and we must persevere and seal Satan's fate. I think of Harry Potter when I think about this. Do you think of Harry Potter a lot when you're reading the Bible? There's a lot of correlations there. I know that Pastor Alex had mentioned it on Sunday, but I was already going to go here, so, you know, he didn't steal it. Or I didn't steal it from him, okay? So anyways, before Harry steps on the scene, Voldemort, or the or the Dark Lord, which I was listening to a podcast today, and they're calling Satan the Dark Lord. I'm like, that's pretty cool. All right, anyways, Voldemort, he's having a good time. He's killing people. He's destroying the magical world. And then when he tries to kill Harry, it backfires, and he's sent into hiding. He's not dead, but he's sent into hiding. Harry completed the first work by severely weakening Voldemort. However, he's not finished him off completely, and we know he's lurking in the shadows, like in the Forbidden Forest in the, in the first movie when he's drinking the blood. It's scary stuff. 
Don't watch it late at night, okay? So as Voldemort hides in isolation, he plots another attempt to take over the world. He does not go down without a fight. And eventually he rises back to power. He forms a new army, and Harry must defeat him again once and for all. In the same way, when Jesus came the first time, died and rose again, he gave opportunity for the world to be saved. He weakened the enemy. He has ushered in the kingdom and pushed Satan back. But Satan has met the arrival of Jesus with other attacks, and he will not bow out without a fight. And when Jesus prepares to come back and and to defeat him once and for all, Satan's going to pull out all the stops. It's going to be like the great battle of Hogwarts in the like, third to last chapter in Deathly Hallows, if you read that. It's going to get crazy. But there's no question who's going to win, right? It's not like, oh, God's going to like, pull it off at the end. No, he's going to win. He's in control. God knows what's going on. He's over it all. So understand that it's not like two equal and opposite forces. God is here. Satan's like here. And for God's purposes, he lets Satan have a little bit of his way, but at the end, he's going to defeat him once and for all. Okay, we must be aware that following Jesus is not a ticket to an easy life, and we're going to face opposition. And many of you tonight are feeling great after fall retreat, but the feeling of a spiritual high is not gonna last. I hate to burst your bubble. You must develop the discipline to persevere by having real devotion and real community and real responsibility. You must take seriously the work of prayer and abiding with Jesus so that God can have his way in your heart and your life. You must take seriously community, and when you think the best thing for you is to be alone, you must push against that and say, I need the body of Christ around me. And you must take responsibility for the mission of God, even when it's hard. After telling us that Jesus would make the temple obsolete and that the end times will be characterized by an increase in evil and destruction, Jesus then tells us what we must do to usher in the new heavens and the new earth once and for all. Verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Third and final point, someone's like, heck yeah, I'm going to bed after this, is this. We are called to complete the work of Jesus by proclaiming the gospel to the whole world. If we want Jesus to come back once and for all, we must literally preach the gospel to people of every tribe, tongue, and nation. Before God, or before Jesus returns, he wants to see every type of person, a person from every ethnic group, and nation given the opportunity to know him through hearing the gospel. And the gospel is simply the good news of what Jesus has done through his life, his death, and his resurrection. It's the declaration that Jesus has become king through living perfectly, through paying the debt of sinners, and through defeating the powers of death, sin, hell, and the grave. And we have a responsibility to declare this gospel to people of every nation, of every ethnic group, And to do it, we need to be empowered by God. We can't do it on our own. We're like the disciples in Acts chapter 1 who are literally crapping their pants because they don't know how to reach the whole world. I said crap because I can. I can't say it at church. I can say it here. Praise God. They're crapping their pants, and they're like, I don't know how we're going to do it. And they say, we need the Holy Spirit. And then God empowers them with the Holy Spirit. And then they push the gospel to the ends of the known world. And God is calling us to do it again today, to be filled with his Holy Spirit and to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation. 
Acts chapter 1, verse 8 says this. Jesus says this. He says, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is what the baptism in the Holy Spirit is for. It's to empower you to go and to complete the great commission that God has given us. If we want to complete the work of Jesus and silence the powers of hell, uh, we have to let God rule in our hearts and take his message to the whole world. God cares about every single people group on the planet, and we should too. It was just over a year ago that the Lord clearly asked me to plant Scent Church. I had been the Kyle director for five years. We were just hitting our stride. Like, like last year, they were like, okay, we're finally getting to where I wanted it to be. It was the first year I got to relax a little bit, it felt like, because we had a great team, and they were just killing it. I was so encouraged by what God was doing on the campus. At the same time, I had this deep discontentment in my spirit about a number of things that all have to do with God's bigger plan for the world. I was distraught by the fact that our students were really only experiencing Christian community with people their same age in the context of the campus. Many weren't a part of a local church. Some were, but those who were were dispersed at various churches throughout the community. They weren't in a church together. God's heart for every follower of Jesus is to be a part of a multi-generational local church or temple who can bring God's presence to a community for every single age group. And we didn't really have that. Our students were largely missing out on that. And, they, and for those who were experiencing it, they weren't experiencing it together. I was also distraught by the fact that it seemed like when we sent our alumni out from here, they struggled to stay in church and stay connected in Christian community because they had never really been a part of a church, or if they had been, they weren't that excited about it. And they didn't make it a priority, and they struggled to find churches that shared the same DNA as Chi Alpha. I wanted there to be a place close to campus where people could see the local church in action together as students. And I wanted a place where if people wanted to stay in Cedar Falls, which all of you, hey, Lauren Schaff, you should stay in Cedar Falls after you graduate. And finally, I was distraught by the fact that that we had no way to send people out to pioneer churches and campus ministries in other communities because we didn't have a strong local body to support them if they wanted to. Helping plant Scent Church was the hardest thing I've ever done. It was met with more spiritual opposition than I had ever experienced before that. Everything before that felt like child's play compared to the opposition I felt from the enemy when we decided to plant a church. I don't know why he doesn't like local churches to be planted. The pandemic certainly didn't help. Right? That was fun. I'm like, how in the heck am I going to do this? Again, that's where you all came in and kicked butt. But I believe that God is beginning to unlock some of the solutions to the things that were distressing me a year ago. I believe we now have a multi-generational community for Chi Alpha students to be a part of that shares the same exact heart and DNA is Chi Alpha. There's other great churches in our community. Some of you are a part of them. They're great, incredible churches. Hear me on that. I love the churches of the Cedar Valley, but I wanted a church that shared the same exact DNA and heart as Chi Alpha, and we have that now. And we have a place for, our, or for the alumni to plug into after college if they stay around here. And in the future, just to give you a little bit of a glimpse, we hope to have sent churches all over Iowa for alumni to plug into. 
And now we also have a local body to support you. If you want to go out to the ends of the earth, we are going to do what we can to support you financially to do it. We planted Scent Church because we, because we recognize that we have a responsibility that goes beyond the campus. The campus is important, but it's not the only thing. We have a responsibility for the world. And we believe that this was the logical next step. I always tell Derek, I say, if we're going to reach the one, the city, and the world, we've got to go through a three-phase process. The first phase was to plant Chi Alpha or to, or to re-pioneer it and to see it get healthy. Check, but that's still continuing. If you stop trying to make it healthy, it's going to die, right? We saw that happen one time. We don't want to see it happen again, so it's up to you to keep carrying the flag of Christ down the field. Okay, so phase one was to plant Chi Alpha. Second phase is to plant a healthy missional local church for Chi Alpha to lock arms with and to be one body together. In phase three, and this is the one I want to get you excited about today, phase three is to send people out to plant other churches, campus ministries, and to go to the nations. We're currently in phase two. Sent Church cannot support all of you to go out right now, but I pray that God gives us, a, or gives us enough money to, or to support anyone who wants to go out. That's phase three. I can't wait for it, but first we've got to finish up phase two. And all these phases overlap with each other, right? We've got to keep doing phase one. We always got to keep doing phase two. But I'm excited for phase three, and I believe that God is going to call some of you. There's freshmen in here who God's going to call to be a part of phase three. There's some who are preparing to go into ministry that God is calling to be a part of phase three. I don't like it. I don't like the idea of sending you out, but I know God's called us to it. God has called us to be sent church, right? It'd be weird if we didn't send anybody. All right, so what does this look like for you? I shared a little bit about sent church. What does this look like for you, though, to take responsibility for God's mission to reach the world? Well, it starts with or it starts with reaching the one that you come across in, in everyday life who needs Jesus. It starts with just reaching the one, right? That's where it starts. And you never know what ripple effect might happen when you reach the one. It continues with you being fiercely committed to reaching the campus of you and I. The world is on this campus. Not as much this year, but typically the world is on this campus. If we want to impact the world, we must start by having a strong body of students who can introduce other students to Jesus. But we can't just settle for the campus. We can't keep it contained on the campus. We must reach our cities, Cedar Falls and Waterloo and the other towns are, uh, that are all around here. I don't know if you know this, but, but we live in the fourth least Bible-minded area in the entire United States. It's Albany, New York, Boston, Massachusetts, Providence, Rhode Island, and then it's Cedar Rapids dash Waterloo, Iowa, which we're kind of far apart, but they view us as one region. That's the fourth least Bible-minded area in the nation, which means we read the Bible the least and we believe the Bible the least. God has called you to be part of changing that, and you're already doing it through one, if you're partnering with Sent, or if you're going to a different church and partnering with them, you are helping make that happen. There are 61,000 people in Cedar Falls and Waterloo who are, are not in church and they're not activated in, in God's mission, and he wants to use you to be a part of reaching them. But finally, it's completed, or this work is completed by being a sending body who sends people all, all over the world. We're a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. We are a part of the quest of Jesus Christ to make temples of every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're called to bring his presence to every single person in the world. With that said, the main idea is this. We must take responsibility for establishing God's rule throughout the earth. I believe this last weekend and tonight is a holy moment for many of you. Some of you are freshmen or sophomores or maybe juniors. 
And God is calling you to lay down your life for the campus for the first time. He's calling you to maybe consider being a small group leader. And to be a small group leader, it's like a part-time job, y'all. Small group leaders, you guys are the real MVPs. 20 hours a week plus, some weeks, for free. I get paid for this. They don't. And they do more work than me sometimes, okay? That doesn't mean I shouldn't get paid, though. I like getting paid. Anyways, let's move on. Others of you are looking to after college. You're ready for the next step. And that's okay. It's all right to begin to transition and think about the next step. And God is calling you to lay down your life throughout your entire life, not just on campus, but to lay down your life for the world. This could look like going into the marketplace and deciding every day, I'm going to wake up and ask King Jesus, who do I need to share your love with today? And then being intentional with your coworkers and sharing Jesus with them and through being a part of your local church and helping them push the kingdom forward through leveraging your resources, especially those of you in the marketplace who make some good money, leveraging your resources to give to people who are going. That's what God's calling some of you to. Because we need people to go and we, and we need people to send. But there's still others here tonight who, who God is calling you to give your life to full-time ministry. You know, maybe you will pioneer the first Chi Alpha campus ministry out of you and I. You know, maybe in two years, you'll go pioneer in Lincoln, Nebraska. Or maybe you'll plant the second sent church. Or maybe you will go to the nations. If you were here two weeks ago at sent church, Gabriella, who is 19, Gabriella, who's 19 years old, is going to Cairo, Egypt. You know, maybe that's going to be you raising money as a 20-some-year-old crazy person saying, I want to go to unreached people groups so that every tribe, tongue, and nation can know Jesus. Here's what I know. God is calling each and every one of you to be part of his mission. It's going to look different for all of you, but he's calling you to be a part of it. And the question I have for you tonight is, are you in? Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be part of something bigger than yourself, or do you just want to get a job Go and make money, get married, save up for retirement, have a few kids, and then retire and live in Arizona and then die. You can do that if you want, but it's not a great life. God has called you to lay down your life so that the world can know him. There are people all over the world who don't know the name of Jesus and, and they've never even heard his name. And part of the reason for that is we are not getting in the game. God is calling you to get your tushy in the game. Stop riding the pine, stop riding the bench, get up and get in the game. It starts here, right here, right now. It's not something for later. All right, let's stand all across this room. If we can say yes to the responsibility of disciple making, hell has no chance. It's not like Satan's a big threat. No, Jesus is the king, right? He has established himself as king. And if we're partnering with him, Satan has no chance. He'll try, but he has no chance. Let's give the devil a bad couple decades, a bad 50 years, a bad 100 years, a bad 200 years, as we, as God's people, rise up and say, we're going to make disciples who 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 make disciples. We can start singing a song, Who Makes Disciples. I want to give the devil the worst couple hundred years he's ever had because of what God does here in Cedar Falls at you and I. Let's be a people who lay down our lives for the, for the one, for the campus, for the city, and for the world. Let's do it.
All right, let's bow your heads and close your eyes. Let's pray tonight. I want to give you two opportunities to respond. The first way is this. If you came in tonight, and if you're very honest, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, or you once did and you walked away, I want to give you a chance to put your trust in Jesus. The Bible tells us that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from, from the dead, then we'll be saved. That's all it takes is confessing that he's Lord and putting your trust in him. So if you want to do that, I'm going to count to three. And when I do, I just want you to slip up your hand. It's between you and God just saying, Jesus, I want you to be my king. Okay, so one, two, three. Slip my ball across this room. See that hand? I see that hand? I see that hand? put them down now. I see the hand back there too. You can put them down. I just want to pray with you. Just pray in your heart as I pray out loud. Just pray a simple prayer of trust, simple prayer of repentance and faith in Jesus. So Jesus, tonight we come to you and we recognize that each of us have fallen short of your glory. We don't bring anything to the table. God, we have wronged you in every single way. But God, we're thankful that you sent Jesus Christ to come and to live the perfect life, to die on the cross for our sins and then to rise up from the grave. Tonight, God, we're saying we put all our hope, all our trust in that. God, we're, put every, we're putting everything into that tonight. And we're asking you to save us. In Jesus' name. All right, one more way to respond. We're going to sing this song. Is it available or what song is it? Is that what it is? Okay, this perfect song. Perfect. We planned this. No, we didn't. But we're going to sing available. And this song is all about being available for God. That's what the sermon was about if you didn't realize And I want you to lift up your hands to heaven if that's for you. If you want to make yourself available to God and say, hey, God, I want to be used for the mission of God throughout the world. That's you. Put up your hands right now. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song at the top of our lungs. And I want you to mean it. Don't just read the words. Mean it in every fiber of your being. So, Jesus, tonight we say we are available. God, we want to change the world. But, God, we realize it starts here tonight. It starts here with surrendering and laying it all down at your feet. It starts with not fixing our eyes on ourselves, but fixing our eyes on you. God, some of us are shy. We're timid. We don't know how you're going to use us. But, God, we fix our eyes on you and say, Jesus, use us. So, Jesus, do it. All right, God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's sing. You ready? Come on, let's sing. I'm excited. Let's go.